I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So my first interview this year at Sundance was with Duran Jones and Victor Gabriel. And we talked about their beautiful and compelling and fun new film. It's a dramedy called Hallelujah. And I'm not sure you've ever seen anything quite like it before. It's it's about suffering. It's about overcoming the existential challenge of, of staring into uh, our own mortality and, and other people's um, deaths as well. It's about community. It's 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 about being passionately involved. It's about the the line between fantasy and reality. We talk about Cornell West and James Baldwin. We, we talk about what this uh, this meeting of comedy and drama really means, and and we get into this uh, thing about the subtext of innocence and how innocence is lost. We talk about resilience and storytelling, oppression. I mean, can you tell we covered a whole lot of ground? Uh, it's a short film. It's at the uh, Sundance Film Festival. It was at the Sundance Film Festival. You're going to want to see this film. It's coming soon to a festival near you, and I hope uh, to a somewhere where you can see it uh, on a streaming provider. Not really sure. Stay tuned for that, and hopefully you'll be hearing a little bit more about that in the very near future. This is a beautiful film. It's about truth. It's about safety and security and fear and and finding our way back home. It really is, as Duran and Gabriel both say, uh, about this thing we called human experience. And you're going to experience a whole lot of emotions in, in this film as well, which I just I just so loved. It took me completely by surprise in the best uh, possible sense. So look for it online. It's called Hallelujah. Um, look out for these two filmmakers, uh, Victor uh, Gabriel and Duran Jones. They're working on the full-length feature script and uh, pitching it now. So stay tuned. Stay tuned. I think you're going to be hearing a whole lot more from Victor. The film's Hallelujah and uh, the interview. Stay tuned for that too. It's it's uh, a lot of fun and we covered a whole lot of ground. Don't forget davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and my speaking and and uh, you face to face live.ca, you can find that there all under one umbrella. Please leave us a review if you like what we're doing. Uh, give us a thumbs up on YouTube, subscribe to wherever you listen to podcasts, and please, yeah, again, leave us a review. We, um, you could also sign up for our newsletter, we only send out a couple of those a year, but we're just looking for different ways to uh, support you through these interviews and the podcast. And like I said, if you are appreciating what we're doing, please leave us a review as soon as you possibly can. Stay tuned. Don't touch that dial. Coming up, a 
so much fun with Victor Gabriel and Duran Jones talking about their beautiful and compelling and funny new film, Hallelujah. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by two very special guests here with us today. I know you're going to enjoy this interview. You're going to love this film. We have Duran Jones and Victor Gabriel here. Um, I guess I could say direct from Compton, but also from Sundance, talking about their beautiful, compelling, moving, and funny uh, new film, Hallelujah. Thanks, uh, thanks to both of you for taking the time today to chat with me. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. So first of all, I want to say congratulations on the film. What honestly, what a what a beautiful piece. Uh, really took me by surprise, and and uh, I wasn't sure what to do with the tromedy. Uh, um, right. You know that sort of that showed out right at the beginning as I stepped in. I'd read a little bit about it, but yeah, beautiful personal instrument portrayal and really funny too. Thank uh, you. V- v- Victor, can you talk a little bit about? where this came from and i think it's a good way to get in i've i've I've, sure yeah please go ahead yeah uh well let me see so i've been asked this question i think on personal level i've um a lot of people i've lost over years over years and i think i think everybody as they get older at least for me it seems like you lose more people you know what I'm saying? More people die, more people pass inexplicably. I've lost um, brothers, gun violence, and I've just lost people not to gun violence, just to death. You know, um, and I think I think I tend to have a, I tend to perseverate on death as an existential idea, anyways, as well as an emotional idea for me in terms of like what does that mean for me and how do I grieve and like thematically I always ask myself like how does one overcome suffering if one can overcome suffering can one overcome suffering and if so how does one overcome suffering and that's like a theme that's throughout my work uh also just logistically I'd written a feature script and that feature script got attention got me reps got me and Duran met, met through that even though we went to the same school and then we sort of reverse engineered the feature script knowing that we had to do a proof of concept short film in order to get eyes on my feature script in order in order for me to write and direct it and then yeah then it got into Sundance so logistically it's like that and personally and thematically um and on top of that the part where like the comedy comes from is just I think that well, I just think that people laugh at funerals is what I think. Um, I think people laugh a lot at funerals. And I think there's that interesting, weird place, which I don't know why we avoid it, but I think we do, which is laughing at darkness. And I understand because people tend to assume, because I'm a marriage and family therapist as well, people can use humor to deflect and to sidestep like pain. So I understand, but I think there's an, also another side to humor, which is, it's not used to deflect, but it's also used to connect to the suffering. Yep. Um, but I think we tend to think that humor can sometimes be someone's sarcasm is used as right. a way to not deal with to deal like with almost, the grief. Almost. And that happens a lot. It happens a lot. But I'm actually saying I'm actually arguing that humor actually connects me to my suffering and doesn't actually it makes me actually deal with it and not turn away from me. Not makes it makes you more makes you more human, Victor. It makes yeah, us all more 100%. human, really, doesn't it? And Wilmerson does, particularly, I think, across races and gender, I think drama specifically sometimes can be very niche and mm. sometimes dramatic nature because, like, this is drama and you feel very serious about something 
And then when you feel very serious about something, when you feel very like the sense of dread or the sense of, oh, we're talking about something serious. I can't, there's a little space between you and me. Let's say it's you're a white man and we're talking about police brutality. If I hold it very, very serious, there's a part of you that's going to say, like what you said, begin this conversation. I'm a cisgender, balding white man. And so there's going to be a little bit of like, like distance you have and I understand because you don't want to offend. You don't know what do you say, what you don't say. But when you add humor to it, there's a sure. way that I'm asking you to be like, don't worry about that. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm, I'm saying on some level, it's okay. So this sort of invitation I'm giving you was a bit more humorous and you get to sort of sidestep something then I think there's a way to connect. And then we actually get to have maybe a bit more honest conversations than but sometimes with drama, it feels like, for me, at least it feels like I'm being roped into an inauthentic conversation that's more based about the, it's more based about like the, um, the performance and the performance of justice as opposed to the reality of human connection and suffering through justice. Yeah, no, that's uh, wow, amazing. Uh, so when are you start? When are you going to start teaching a course in existentialism, Victor? Uh, you know, so funny. You know, so funny. You you'll laugh at this. Like at my master's program for marriage and family therapy, our class existentialism was the. I we fought. I had dragged down fights about existentialism <laughs> in my class. We had dragged down fights because it was. Uh, me and my classmates, I was not fucking with it. I wasn't fuck. I was. I would argue. I was, I was arguing about the individualism, how highly individualistic existentialism is, and the and the lack of social reality, the lack of collectivism and communal. They're like, no, it just nice. makes sense. Like, yes, it does. But denying social reality, it was it was a knockdown, drag down fight. Even though I'm a heavy existentialist, but <laughs> it was a lot of fights we had in my class about. About that, a lot of it was. It was Victor. You, I, I, I can imagine. I mean, you, you've taken yeah. on some pretty, pretty serious issues in this film, without yeah, a doubt. Yeah. It's so, it's so intimate, and that what I love about it, and the performances are astounding. They yeah. really are. They really the performances that you got out of the actors in such a short piece. And I understand you filmed it in your backyard, Duran. Yeah. Um, tell me about you and and how you stepped into this. You guys went to the same school, it sounds like, but you didn't yeah. connect there. You get brought together later on in life, and now you find yourself in a pretty, uh, by the sounds of it, a pretty exciting place. Yeah, I mean, I I I am the type of person when I truly feel passionate about something or connect to something, I give everything I got. Um, and, uh, Vic and I are, we're about a year apart in the AFI class. He's a year ahead of me. Um, so when I read his feature script, when he sent it around to get notes, I'm like, bro, you don't need any notes. Like, this is <laughs> like, how do we figure out how to mm. get this made? And that was the kind of the conversation we had. And much to my surprise, he just as I am, is just as passionate. So when I was like, Hey, can I help with this? He was like, yeah, boom, there it is. And I'm like, all right, I got to put my money where my mouth is now. So, um, you know, we just started reaching out to our network, trying to figure out um, what the next steps were. Um, once we figured out he wanted to direct this as well as uh, as be a writer on the feature, like, all right, well, how do we how do we navigate that world, right? What have the people done before? And how can we, as he said, reverse engineer this into something that um, people can, you know, trust you to make this to make this feature film. So. Um, we started writing, he started writing the script and we started bouncing ideas and coming up with different things. And I think it took us, it took us a little bit of time to actually settle on what the short was going to be about. 
but it was like once we got it everything clicked in his mind and it was just really my job to say all right what do you want what are the pieces and the holes that you have and how can i help you fill them um and and what do we have at our disposal financially to get that done so one of the ways that we cut costs was to to use his backyard um yeah you didn't spend a whole lot of money on scouting locations did you no no he 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 literally woke up look out the window and was like yep that's it (laughs) and we were like all right cool that's what we're shooting it um you know and and being in a class of afi you you have a lot of people who volunteer on each other's film so um, our crew and, and our fellow classmates really showed up for us and showed out um, in a way that we're indebted so to them. cool. You know, we work on each other's projects all the time. We barter in that way because we know how difficult this is and how expensive it is. But when you're trying to do something, um, for me, the main thing that connects everybody and gets everybody involved in the process is the story. And from day one, when I fell in love with that feature script, it was like, this story is just, it's everything. You know, um, and as a as a producer, I often feel like that's my job. I work for that story. So whatever we need to do to make that story get told in the proper way is what I want to do. I love that. I love that you guys tapped into a community that you were surrounded by that actually spoke into a film ultimately about belonging, as you say, Victor, and about about community and about others and about friendship and family. It's just it really is. Uh, uh, remarkable and touching. Victor, so many questions, so many questions. We're not going to have enough time in this interview for sure, but sure. you say it's it's once upon a time. Right. Why once upon a time? Because isn't this story so rooted in reality? Isn't this so real? I mean, for sure. you know what I mean? For like the, 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 yeah. some people think a documentary film is, is true and, right. and a fictional film's not true. And I just, I've never really bought into that. But anyway, I'd love, I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on, well, on that. That's more of a, um, it's a combination of, uh, it's a tone thing. It's a, it's a tone thing. It's a, it's related to, because the idea for me of the tromedy is the idea of trauma and comedy. But it's also the idea of that I'm, I'm also, there's a subtext of innocence right? Mm. I'm slipping in here. And I sort of similar to the idea of laughter. I think people, people tend to argue and as they should, that innocence is lost in violence and chaos and trauma. That's true. That does happen with no support. But what I find actually, I think there's also another, another part of innocence that innocence is also resilient, right? Um, so I think innocence can be resilient in the midst of very traumatic things given support given support so a lot of bad things can happen but a two-parent household or a village can support a child um and even though a lot of things can happen there's still a lot of innocence there and so i think that once upon a time phrasing sort of gives it the sort of dreamy fairy tale like thing which relates to me a childlike nature you know what I'm saying? And it's like I'm at it's uh giving a childlike fairy tale tone to a context which is typically seen as highly violent and very dark and very bad or evil, so to speak. And so I think I think it's playing I think it's playing with the um with the expectations of the of of an inner city, expectations of um Black masculinity and adding in little touches here and there, the um, sort of subtextual touches, sort of give like, huh, it's a little whimsical, 
thing. And typically you see you hear that when it's like like uh I don't know, like a bunch of a bunch of white kids, like I don't know, going to going going on a, <laughs> on a boat trip somewhere or some shit. You know what I'm saying? Or like it's a fairy tale somewhere. It's very innocent, nothing crazy where I'm saying, oh, it's upon a time in a place where in a place where someone got shot and killed the day before, you know? So, and adding and keeping innocence, not just pretending that there's no innocence, but saying that there is innocence here still. You know, what's so amazing to me, Duran, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. When you first read the script, did you think at all that the film could actually get preachy in any way? I, like to me, it's super entertaining. It's funny. It's thoughtful. And I kind of came away going, hang on a minute. I want more. I want to know more about these two brothers. I want to know more about what's gone on here. And I think that's a brilliant thing. I think, I think knowing Vic, no, I I never had that concern at all. And I think it's because um, I I know that's not his cup of tea. You know what I mean? Like he, he would much (laughs) rather make a joke about it than, you know, um, have you sit in this, kind of philosophical conversation about it. He he wants you to feel it, but he doesn't necessarily want you to be able to, um, you know, intellectualize the whole thing. Like we we naturally go there, but sure. um, even in the conversations that I had with him previously, it, it was always about feeling, you know, and we could, we could be talking about movies, we could be talking about social justice, but it was always about feeling. It was never about the intellectual side of the conversation. That's more me. And I'm like, if I was, if it was me writing it, yes, that would have been a concern. But with him, never, not at all. Yeah, and I think Duran is on the money because he knows I hate that. He knows I hate preachy, <laughs> preachy shit. I hate, I, I dislike it. And that, but to be clear, I do love it, just not in storytelling. Like if you and me, David, if you and me want to have a conversation about that, that's fire. I love those conversations. I right. love the articles. If you guys a book, got to read. Like that's amazing. I think it's for me as a writer-director to think about the intellectual and philosophical questions and to like go over my head, like what's happening? Like, what am I thinking? And so I have those things in there, but it's subtext, but primary, I just, I think you got to feel it. You know, I always argue, I always argue that in storytelling that you can tell me about the war in Afghanistan all you want and about the dangers and about like, if it was a movie and it preached me about why it's so bad. And, uh, and why the American troops are this, or what's happening in the oppression, and da da da. And you can tell me that in the movie, or you can tell me the story about a little, by a little boy whose village is getting bombed, and he's stuck on one side of the town, and his older sister stuck on the other side of town, and she's pregnant with the baby, and he has to get to her before they bomb, mm-hmm. before they bomb her, before they bomb the house to get her out of there. Like that's a way better story to me. I would rather hear that story and feel the pain of what he's trying to do to get to his sister. Then you telling me about how bad it is. I'll I'll feel it, and I'll connect to the suffering, and I'll and I'll like what what's going on over there? You know what I'm saying? And I think I think that to me tends to be best. And that's also what happens in therapy. Like there's always as a therapist, you always have to handle like the intellectual, philosophical, and theoretical orientations in my mind while balancing the emotional conversation that's happening. You know what I'm saying? And I think that happens the same thing when I'm writing directing. Like there's this conversation of mine that's happening, that's theory, that's all this, but then there's an emotional conversation. And typically that's the one like I want to have first and primary and the other stuff will come. You'll see it 
you'll see it in the background. You'll feel it. You'll ask yourself, like, man, why is this like this? You know what I'm saying? What's happening? Well, what's going on? You know what I'm saying? And that will prompt you to do something, I believe. Yeah, it's great. I, lo I love this idea of, I mean, I think you're, for me anyway, you're talking about stories that are that are creating empathy and and and, yeah. and can, opportunities for connection and community and so on. And I just so love that again, this film, this story, your world, it seems both of your worlds are are, are rooted in this sense of others and community and yeah. kindness and generosity too, Victor. Right. Duran. I don't know if that makes sense, but that really comes out in the film as well. I mean, that yeah. I don't want I'm trying not to give away too many things for for potential uh -huh. viewers, but the end sequence, man, where 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 they're asking those very simple profound questions i wish dot right. dot dot yeah like honestly man that's super that's my, my favorite scene we had that's that my favorite scene in the movies the end scene yeah so yeah. so moving and i so so duran is so you're both scholars clearly um does the academic inform the storytelling or 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 will this story in a few years time inform academics uh <laughs> you know what i mean yeah, I, I think I think for me, I can't speak for that. I think for me, I know that academics do inform prior because I think about. So I mean, in my mind, I'm thinking about. I don't know if you ever read Paulo Freire, um, Pedagogy of the Oppressed. Yeah, you know it's been saying? it's been quite a few years, but back in the yeah yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah. I think about like he he argues in the book he he argues in that book about the um, dialectical relationship between like the oppressor and the oppressed and how the oppressed do take on characteristics of the oppressor inevitably like he argues that it's inevitable and it's going to happen and like what does that mean for how we for how you um for, for how you're interacting you know Paul Freer speaking to like um more of an economic and like class like like class. Sure, sociological anthropological yeah yeah but I, I think about that in terms of just being upfront about what does it mean to be black and being a black male and what are the ways and what are the ways in which I take on characteristics of oppression, oppressor, even if it's self-hatred or even if it's hatred against my own people? And like, what does that mean? So those are things which are in my head when I'm writing, because I'm trying to hold no judgment, but I'm trying to be honest. But I'm also asking people to connect to the suffering without villainizing me, you know what I'm saying, at the same time. And that, can, and, but, but I think that authenticity, like, this is unfair. This isn't right. Also, sometimes here's some things which happen, and which I don't think that I get to skate just because of oppression. I don't think I get to kill somebody or hurt my own people because oppression is here. But I am just stating that that's happening too. You know what I'm saying? And what does that mean for you as a viewer? Or are you just going to tell me that? <laughs> you know black men are just evil and violent mm -hmm. at the same time sometimes i have been evil and violent so so it's a very nuanced thing i am a new thing i'm attempting to um to wrap into it and yes these are all things that are in my head and I, these are typically these are not things which i fully really like always talk about like i didn't tell during all this stuff you know what i'm saying so i think when it comes to story i'm just saying I want to be funny. I want to feel something deep, and I want you to do, and I want this to happen. And and yeah, I I think I'm not I'm not I'm not so pretentious as to think that this is going to inform many academic 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 people. Man, I I, I man, I don't know, man. I I think sometimes you get in trouble when you when I think entertainment sometimes believes that it's 
I don't like getting my knowledge from entertainers. I sure. just don't. I have a hard yeah. time. With I, and I have well, hard time with some interesting questions about writing and intention yeah. and all that kind of thing. But yeah. but but uh, I I I do believe stories do change uh, parables. Stories, yes. you know, yes. sitting yes. around the yes. fire, you know, for which sure. I don't for do sure. enough of. For honestly, sure. for sure. They're going to have an impact on my kids or my my wife, my partner, whatever. I remember a story. I bought my first car years ago. It was a piece of junk and it was a used car on a lot. And the guy said to me, he tells me this story about a, a, a person who had bought a similar car and forgot that it was in second gear and drove home in second gear and blew the transmission. I have never forgotten that story every yeah. time almost. No joke. Every time I, you know, especially driving a standard I think, I wonder if that was even true. Right. <laughs> Did it actually really happen? Or was that this way, this guy's way of saying, hey, th this can actually happen to you, so be careful, without actually well, saying, the, be careful, you know? To that, to that point, you'll, you'll never put your car in second gear, <laughs> right? So the story, the story did Brilliant. achieve its yeah. objective. And I think, I think going back to the, um, the academic structure of everything, I think it can be. Um, but I think just like many things in our society, the academic structure has to change um, too much, too often, even in the, the schools that I've, I've gone to, or I had the privilege to go to, our professors teach from a position of not having to learn anything. Um, they teach from a position of authority. Mm. But I think if we go more into the human experience and we're actually learning from the experiences of not just the people who are at the head of the class, but the people who are in the class and in the seats learning and it's more involved. I think it can, I think it can because so much of, you know, what Vic is doing is in the zeitgeist of, of conversation. Like you, you were able to tap into so many intellectual things just in this one piece, even though he and I never even had a conversation about it. And it's just through good storytelling, you know, it's remarkable, right? Yeah. And it's, it's the same thing for me. Like, even when I, I listen to music, like good music to me, um, I can hear a song from 1996 and listen to it today and catch something different that I never caught the first time. So, good. you know, and I feel like this film and, and his work is, is very much like that. Yeah, the la the layers, the subtlety and, and, and the nuance. Um, is it um, uh, Stephen, Stephen uh uh, Thomas plays Hallelujah. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah. so tell me. Just, I'm going to go down a little bit more of this academic road. Sorry right. about that, but I just can't oh. help it. I, I, I so love Cornell West. I so loved the work of James Baldwin. Were you thinking of I'm those big, two I'm characters? I'm a big Cornell West fan. You, you talk in my language. I'm, a, I'm a big. Well, Dr. I could Dr. Cornell West man is Dr. Cornell West is like the person who I want to be when I'm older. I promise you. Like hey, I just want his hair, Victor. I just I want his hair, you. man. Listen, have you ever seen his interview with Joe Rogan? You know what? I have not. No. You got to go see. It. I mean, okay. whatever you think about Joe Rogan, but him, Cornel West, just talking, like, it's it's incredible. That's I'm it. like, I'm, I want to be a better person. Every, ever, ever. Same. Every time I hear him speak, I say, I, I just, I'm engaged. Same same with, yeah. uh, I interviewed Raul Peck a few years back for mm. uh, his film, I Am Not Your Negro. And right. The conversation just blew my mind and Raul yeah. was just incredible and I I really started to unpack the work of James Baldwin and I haven't gone yeah. deep enough but I couldn't help but think that you were thinking a little bit uh, with the character of Hallelujah I mean you know the wisdom and the commentary coming out of this young boy's mouth is for is sure. really quite wonderful for sure for sure I um there's um 
He has so many quotes. He has so many quotes. I, I'm, I'm, I am misparaphrasing because I can't remember the quote exactly. But I know James Baldwin says that he used to think that his suffering was singular in the world until he started reading books. And then mm -hmm. he realized that my story is like everyone's story, right? Um, and probably made him feel less alone, but only, you know, a little bit to know that his suffering is not, is not particular to only him. You know, and I think I, I, re I grew up reading books, right? So that little part of Hallelujah that's reading and is spouting like um, all these things, for, all these things from books. It's something that I did. I read books and I like was like, hmm, I wonder about this. I wonder about this. I asked myself a bunch of qu weird questions and I wanted him to be that weird kid who's asking his weird question, which he doesn't probably want to fucking answer to. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> he's just asking, he's just like, what's going on? Why is this? Why can't I kill my commit suicide? Who said? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Who said? Like, it's a viable option. It's 100%. <laughs> like, 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 this is a good argument. You know what I'm saying? And I've heard kids tell me that. And I've heard kids tell me that. I've heard kids try to argue me down philosophically why suicide is like a good idea. You know what I'm saying? So um, I, uh, so, so to, so to him, I think on a deep level, on a, the, the, on the deepest and best, um, I would say level, it's, it's his dad's favorite book. So on right. a story level, that's, what's most important. That's his dad's favorite book. And this is his connection. To, and this is the connection. The intellectual things are subtextual, of course, in terms of arguing about this, but really he's arguing about suicide. Really he's just saying like on a very basic childlike level, like I miss my parents, you know, I miss my dad, I miss my parents, like, mm. and, I don't know, and I don't know what to do, you know? And that's all children say that. But this particular boy says it in such a way, like here, this, this, <laughs> he's, arguing, he's arguing, he's arguing and debating about like, well, this author says this, which is what people do in debates. Like, you know, well, such and such author argues, blah, 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 yeah. which is sort of what he's doing. You know, yeah, 100%. Almost, almost the academic in the backyard, you know? Well, 100%. 100%. Which is, I was which waiting is for why. him to take out some street chalk and start yes. you know, <laughs> on, the, on the wall. Which might have been a good, by the way, by the way, that would have been a great, 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 great thing to do, honestly. If he had to take out some chalk and put out the poster board for like, this is why. That, and his, <laughs> right, and it's a James Baldwin <laughs> quote on the wall. Yeah. Yes. Yes, this is why it's okay, which would have been dope, which would have been dope, actually, as I'm thinking about it. Yeah. Duran, how much how much of yourself do you see in Hallelujah? I see myself in every character. And I think that's what attracted me to the project, right? Um, even even from you know the feature script when I read it, I I, I called him. I was like, I know all these people, mm. you know, and, and there's I'm all over it, right? Like I I am I am paper to a certain extent where it's like, what are you talking about? Why can't you just be normal? And then on Chetty, it's like, well, over here, if I think about this a little more contextually, what they're saying, I do understand that, right? And then I'm hallelujah and I'm raging, you know, at, at the top, at the, at the world for, for being so unjust and unfair. Like I've, I've been all of those things. And I think the beauty of what Vic is able to do with this cast is to show you the inside of a black male in multiple characters but every one of us has a part of each of these characters. Mm. You know, every one of us has a part of Lila. That's like, hey, it's gonna be all right and I'm here. We've got all of these different things inside of us. And, and that's, that's really what the human experience is. It's not, 
it's realizing that you don't have to be one thing and that all of these things are capable. And what Vic and I talk a lot about is as black men, we're not often able to show that multifaceted nature, right? We have to be one thing. And the one thing that we have to be to be able to survive and to be safe is to be safe, right? If we, if we start to you know, raise our voice in a certain way and project anger, automatically you're looking around like, okay, who's taking out their phone to call the police? And it's those things that so keep so us Duran, it's almost like is it almost like playing into a reverse stereotype almost in a way? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I and I think we've all had to navigate that, right? Whether it's on job interview or or right. at a prestigious film school, right? We have to go into these into these offices and these places and we have to account for what people stereotypically are going to think of us just based off of our appearance. Right. And that in itself is is a complicated thing. Like you're you're putting different faces on in order to, you know, figure out who it is that you actually are. And then certain faces take different shapes in different environments. And to be clear, and, and also with Durant, what is saying, it's like reverse stereotype. But for me, also at the same time, it's that the stereotype itself, that there's nothing wrong. I don't mean I don't mean about the characterization, but there's nothing wrong with this this um, entity or this presentation that seems stereotypical. Like there's humanity, even there's humanity and righteousness, even in the the tattoos and the swagger and the and the game banging idea. I mean, how they're talking, right? That there's righteousness and, and truth in that, as well as. Whoever you, whoever you think or depict a black male to be, if I remove your characterization from it and say, this is how I think black men are, this is wrong with that. This is wrong with how that person acts. If it's like this, and talk like this, and blah, blah, blah. There's humanity in that. There's truth in that. There's righteousness in that. And there's also righteousness in the um, the nerd, the nerdiness. There's also righteousness in the intellectual. So in the, I love it. There's, there's truth. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, just, like, like, like it's, I think sometimes, that's, this is for Black people, I think sometimes when Black people start, like, getting in higher circles, we start to do the, I don't want to live up to the stereotype. And I always hated that. I, I hated, I understand why Black people do that. There's not, like, that's like a, maybe a, a family conversation, but I've never, I haven't been, I don't, I'm typically not a fan of, well, we got to switch up because that stereotype, you know what they're going to think of us. And I get it because it comes from a place of trying to keep people safe, trying to keep, I'm trying to keep you safe, right? So I'm telling you, if you act like this, this is what may happen, right? And me and Duran have had those conversations multiple times, but Duran is more on the, like, hey, you know what they think of us, Vic, you can't do that. And I'm like, nah, fuck that, right, <laughs> right? Right, part of my language, um, because I'm like, I'm, I'm like, it's not on me, it's on them. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's not, on, it's not on me. Your stereotype is on you, right? Now, well, if you I, think you this know, way to, about to, me, yeah, we to say it's a, more of a comment on my my worldview and my understanding is an understatement, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And if you think that way, then it's like, I ain't got, I'm not, I'm not switching up, I'm not switching up for you, uh, and and also I. Yeah, I think there's just multiple ways that multiple ways and multifaceted the ways that black people are and black men are. And all of it, all of it, all of it's okay. And at the same time, I'm also making a comment on class too, because I do think that like outside of just the not outside, but intermixed with the race, there's a class difference. And when there's class differences, I tend to think, regardless of race, at times, middle, upper class 
academics, elitists, and people who have money, me being someone who's been in higher education, like, like this tends to be like a looking down. You tend to start telling poor people how to speak, how to talk, how to act, you know what I'm saying, what to yep. do. And you, and you can wrap it up in justice and you start telling black people, poor black people, poor brown people, talk like this, do this and do this. Uh, I used to, I had this conversation, this may be a bit controversial, I had this conversation with some like other people who are like, have master's degrees, PhDs, have master's degrees. We had this like little debate about social justice and language. And I feel like sometimes academics tend to be very elitist about language and tend to get very almost biblical about this is what you should be saying. Right, and I'm like, you created the you created the words, and now we're telling everyone that they don't talk like this. Then you're that's a problem. Um, like my home, my my Mexican group of Mexican, my my Mexican neighbor who's a legal immigrant has no idea what Latinx means. Zero clue. Zero clue what you mean when you say Latinx. Keisha from the project says no idea what misogynoir means. All these terms which people at this time will get very and it's all, and you need the language because you're trying to explain things. So you need language to explain yep. to explain things. But language can also marginalize if you're not uncareful. Really? If you're not careful. It, it, and particularly start barrier, saying, right? Yeah, particularly have to start saying thou must talk like this and use this word like this. Um, the, 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 they don't know what you're saying. They're confused. Like, what? What is that? What is that? Not to mention, you're good. My neighbor is an illegal immigrant working 80 hours to make sure he can feed his family. You know what I'm saying? Like, he's trying. He's trying to figure it out. He's trying to figure it out. He doesn't know what you're talking about. So there's. So uh, and going back to just storytelling, like that's why it's important for me to make you feel it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? To make you feel it. You know, make you feel it. And I'm glad that both of us are like Cornell West fans. Because the reason I love him and why I like even integrate some of those things in my work is just the idea of love and the idea of um what what does it mean to sacrifice? What does it mean to sacrifice? So good, else? man. You know what I'm saying? Like what like what does it mean to be like I'm not good if you're not good? You know what I'm saying? And which is yeah. what's happening? Which is what's happening? I think that's kind of at the heart of the debate, right? Is is because I think oftentimes even when we're talking about, you know, changing or wearing these different masks or showing these different versions, we try to pick one is right and one is wrong. And I think it's a lot more nuanced than that. Oh yeah. Right? Because at the heart of someone saying to you, "Hey, you might need to change your language or you might need to do this or do that," is the love of saying, "I still want you to be here. I don't want you to be put in these situations." But then the other side of that is the other person checking you and saying, Hey, you're not being real to who you are when you're around mm. me. We need both of those things, right? We we can't we can't operate in these spaces and forget who we are. Like one of my favorite books is The Spook Who Sat by the Door by Sam Greenlee. Right? And this character had to navigate a world in a way where he was non-threatening, but at the same time be able to talk to his people in a way that they understood, right? In a way that they could prosper and progress. So um, when you look at all the prophets, regardless of what religion you follow, none of them sat around scholars. They went to the people, right? And, and we have to stay and keep that connection. So and by I bet no they means- were, And I bet they were pretty good storytellers, Thren. Exactly. And by no means should we lose that, but at the same time, we have to be cognizant of you know, what the end goal is for us as a people. And if that end goal means that um, there's a system in play that we have to, you know, realize what that system is, there's there's things that we have to do to navigate that, but there's things that we also have to do to stay authentic and stay um, true to ourselves. And so it's, it's just a hard duality, um, you know, yeah. being a person of color 
and, and being just a minority in this country, like because the system wasn't created by us. What's and let me going? ask him, Durant. Let me ask him, real quick, David. Let me ask yeah, Durant. Go, go. I said, so I make a more clarity to like we need language and we need people to be able. That's a beautiful thing about um, academia and philosophy. We I love it because it gave me language to things that I was feeling that I could not articulate. And so when I read a book, I was able to articulate what was happening that I did not know prior. So I we need all these things. We need all these things. We need we we, we need the high intellectual arguments. I learn from it when I listen to people I read and I'm like, oh, this is great. That makes sense. I never thought of it like that. That's articulating something I have not been able to articulate before. I'm just also saying with that, and, and it also holds us accountable. That's the beautiful thing about mm -hmm. language. Mm -hmm. If we just yeah. have to be aware that it can be marginalizing, it can be a barrier, but it also can be something that holds, holds accountable, holds me accountable. Like I've been held accountable as a black man via language, via like black woman giving me language to something that maybe I was unaware of. And they use certain language. I was like, oh yeah. I mean, that makes sense. That's something I've done. That's something I've said. So I'm with it. I just also know that we have to be open that it can be something that is a barrier and it, and it um, can be something that we use to um, not address not, not, not address um, the least of these. You know, Dr. Colonel West always talks about the least of these. It's a biblical thing. So, yeah. So good. Wow. I, we, yeah. we, we're, we're like 35 minutes in and we barely got out of the gate. Like, this is ridiculous. This is yeah. so great. Hey, Duran, I have to ask this question. Um, I've heard rumor that Victor doesn't like Twizzlers. Is this true? It, it, it unfortunately it is true i i didn't know what a red vine was till i got very disappointed i'm like, so disappointed yeah, victor super disappointed but bro, those are trash bro i don't know why it's in the argument i hate what there's, about there's the sound bite from the interview today twizzlers are trash yeah, i love it super trash garbage red vines red vines all the way bro red vines all my, the way if you're gonna get twizzlers view. you gotta get like the special twizzler like which is like Twizzler pull and peel. You feel okay. me? Which is like a okay. special. It's like a special Twizzler. It ain't even like a real Twizzler. It's like they like added a bunch like of like the premium edition like Twizzler. You know, so yeah, one hundred percent. So like that's cool. <laughs> but after the that, Red Vine's what it is. You feel me? So so we're so they're not paying him to say this. Is I, I, I hate <laughs> I that we have to end this conversation. We got to wrap it up. Um, where to next full, full length feature and and, and where Absolutely. can people i know sundance people can see the film now hallelujah again congratulations what a beautiful film um where can can people see it now or, or are you guys on just sort of beginning a festival tour we're, we're just starting the festival tour so we've got um you know a few more festivals um that have been reaching out and some some other things that are, are happening in the works um and maybe even later down the line we'll talk about distribution for the short in itself so it can get to a larger audience. But um, our minds, even at the start of this process, have always been on this feature, you know? Um, so right now we're looking for partners, collaborators, financiers that can, you know, help mm -hmm. us make that dream a reality and just, you know, see see some black men who, who have this story and who have the capability of doing this and, um, you know, invest in that. It's amazing, it's amazing. Thanks to you both. We've been talking with Duran Jones and Victor uh, Gabriel today on, on Face to Face about their beautiful and, and compelling uh, new film, Hallelujah. Thanks, guys. So such a pleasure having you on the show today. And just just to be just to be clear, I wanted to be Victor Gabriel and Duran Jones because this story started with him, not with me. <laughs> um, so we'll just put that there. Uh, but yeah, pleasure, pleasure being here.
So there you have it, my interview with Duran Jones and Victor Gabriel about their wonderful, lovely, and compelling new film, Hallelujah. I trust you stepped into the conversation. I hope you peeled back a few layers with us, and I trust you are eager to see the film as soon as possible. Hallelujah. It was at Sundance this year, and you're going to be hearing more from these two brilliant filmmakers, Victor Gabriel and Duran Jones. Don't forget, please leave us a review, davidpecklive.com for more information about my writing and speaking. You can um, pick up a copy of Real Changes Incremental there too. And if you're there, check out face-to-facelive.ca. It's all under one umbrella digitally. Leave us a review, sign up for the newsletter. If you're listening to podcast this podcast on one of your favorite channels, please subscribe. Give us a thumbs up on YouTube. Uh, there's just a few th- calls to action. They're really simple, folks. I hope you can do them. And we'd really love that review, even if it's one sentence on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever it is that you listen to your podcast. Thanks again for being a part of this journey with me as I step into these brilliant and engaging and enlightening conversations for me uh, globally. It's it's a real pleasure and an opportunity for me to to, uh, uh, to learn so uh, much about so many things. My guests today were Victor Gabriel and Duran Jones talking about their beautiful new film, Hallelujah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.